Dear Rabbi Paltio, could you please explain from the ground up what is a good school education in Kodesh for boys in Chabad in our times? Including what subjects should they learn and in what ways, i.e. memorization versus understanding versus analysis. What are important learning and also non-academic priorities in boys' chinuch? What should and should not be emphasized? What are the pitfalls and challenges? What are the goals? How can a parent assert if the goals are being achieved? What else is important for parents of boys to understand about this topic? Thank you. Ouch, that's not a question, that's a book. Um, we sort of have a policy in our Q&A not to make serials, not to have uh, questions and answers that go over a series of weeks. I tried it once and people got lost and the first installment, the first segment is like the ones after that are contextless. But there's no way I'm doing this in one sitting. So I am going to try and reconstruct a question, as if it's an original question, as I go through this list. Um, and I'll try my best to offer you nothing more and nothing less than what I understand, which is, of course, very limited, as everybody understands. I need to say one thing at the outset. I am really afraid, deeply afraid, that the person who is asking this question, and he's asking it anonymously, is setting me up. Meaning, they have an interest, they have a, an argument with the school where one of the children are attending, and they want to be able to come to the school and say, aha, I got the rabbi to show you that you're wrong and you have to change this, that, and the other. So I am making a disclaimer at the outset. I've been an educator my whole adult life, but I've never carried the responsibility of a school. I was never a principal. I was always a teacher and a mashpia, for better or for worse. And I assure you that there were moments that I'm not proud of. The responsibility that a hanhola carries and that a principal carries. I, in my judgment, a principal who's really good at what needs to be done as a principal is worth its weight in gold and platinum. It's, that you cannot put value on a good principal. And of course, to be a good principal, the principal needs support from those above him and the principal needs to be able to support those below him. A principal has a combination of meddling in every little detail of the school and mixing out and letting his teachers do what they need to do. I almost have this idea that every principal needs to be a little bit of an OCD Nick. You have to have a compulsive nature because every detail is important to the principal because the principal is one with the big picture and at the same time the principal doesn't do everything himself. So what I'm saying at the outset is this. In no way are my words meant to criticize any principal. In no way are my words more valued, more important, more responsible than any principal who's actually uh, head of a school because that's a, a skill set which I don't have. It's a responsibility that I never carried. And uh, the easiest thing in the universe is to find fault in others. And I don't see myself as one of those people who defines himself by finding flaws and faults in others. I try to do what I'm able to do. And frankly, I try to keep my mouth shut. I'm gonna answer this question in my role as a mashpia. But every head of school, every principal, has been empowered to make decisions and uh, almost never is getting rid of a principal a good idea unless you have a better replacement you know one of the worst systems of government is anarchy there are almost no governments that are so bad that you're better off not having a government than having a bad government there are but very few and the same is true when it comes to leadership in any institution especially institutions that we call non-for-profit public institutions that serve the community 
people on the outside, that means parents, do not begin to appreciate how difficult the task is. They do not begin to appreciate how much pressure teachers and principals work under. And they certainly do not appreciate what it means to replace personnel. Personnel in a school is more difficult to get than money. And God knows it's hard to raise money for a school. So um, I'm saying this at the outset with all respect for people who are responsible as heads of schools and as principals to make these decisions. And it's in this context that I'm going to address some of these questions. This is number one. And then comes number two. There is no such thing as a successful school, period. There's such a thing as a successful community. And there are two big poles. There's the parents and there's the school. You cannot send your children to school and expect the school to raise them. That's not the way it works. Now, the Rebbe, when the Rebbe talked to the schools, he said that, unfortunately, in America, there are too many parents who have no time to raise their kids. They have no attentiveness to pay their kids, no patience because of work, because of career, because of whatever other interest. And therefore, schools have to double as institutions that have to almost parent children. But you don't want that to be your children, and you don't want that to be you. Successful child rearing is absolutely a partnership between a school and a home, and not in that order. First, the home. Parents' effect on their children is much more than 50% of who their child grows up into adulthood. The contribution of the school is much less than 50%, even when it comes to academic and scholastic aptitude, because the parents create the uh, the mindset of curiosity and an interest in learning and an ethic of hard work. Um, but when it comes to other things, the influence of the parents is far greater than the schools. So for us to raise our children successfully, the first place we have to look is in the mirror as parents. And uh, we choose our children's schools carefully and wisely and deliberately, and we stay perpetually in touch. So let me, let me go through this in order. Uh, the first thing that people need to do in order to raise healthy children is to have shalom bias a home that is a war zone a home that is combative a home that is a place of contention is like living on a foundation that has cracks and every wind every spring the water gets into those cracks and every winter those water freezes and the cracks expand and then the water melts and then the foundation begins to crumble and the following winter the water freezes a second time and, the and they make the chasms bigger and then when the spring comes the water thaws and the the foundation cracks further and further until the building comes down shalom bias is such a critical part of uh, of child rearing this is the most important lesson that they learn they need to live in a peaceful environment um, I've said this before and I've shocked people. What, what, what is the number one rule about parenting and teaching? What's the number one rule about a home and a school? And the answer is normal. Not extreme, not motivated, not rah-rah, normal, peaceful, predictable, orderly, harmonious. And that begins with Shalom Bayes. The couple have to create a peaceful environment and it's not can't just be l'shem shamayim you know shalom bayis is not something you do for the abish the shalom shabayis you do for yourself and for your spouse in other words you, you you can learn how to like and love the person you marry even if they're not perfect for you also and that's it's a requirement shalom bayis is the first fundamental building block in any kind of successful 
child rearing and Shalom Bayis has to be, you have to be in. I'm going to make my marriage work. I'm going to not just love my wife, as they say, but I'm going to like my wife. And I'm going to, like I mentioned in the previous segment about accepting people's faults, you accept the life that you adult, you accept the person that you married, because they're accepting you. And we know for sure that we're by no means perfect. And uh, making your marriage work and having peace in your home is the most important thing you can do to give your child a proper education. This is number one. And number two, you lead by example. A home is an environment, not just for fun and entertainment and letting your hair down. It's, it's, a, it's a place for living. And a basic part of that living as Jewish people is that every aspect of our life is inspired with Yiddishkeit, with mitzvahs, with halacha, with borders. And we communicate this to our children even before they're conceived and before they're born and certainly as they're growing up. Our home are, is full, is full of Yiddishkeit. And I'll say one more thing and then I'll stop this segment. And that is I have a philosophy which I've developed as a parent over all the years of my adult life, which is as follows. Every single family, every single home has an ongoing conversation. You can call it a fabringen. It begins the moment a couple gets married and it lasts as all the children grow up and leave the home, the conversation continues. That conversation continues during the Shabbos meals, it continues during Yom Tov meals, it continues when the family is sitting in the car going on a trip, and it uh, continues when the family is sitting around and enjoying each other's company on any occasion. And that conversation needs to be directed by the parents, even when the children are older, and certainly when the children are younger. Parents lead their home, and they have to set the agenda. They don't have to always control what everybody says every minute of every day and every night, but they need to articulate their philosophy of life and communicate it to their children. And the rule is, you always teach your children what you want them to think and feel and do. Think and speak and do before it's realistic. If your child is at an age where he's supposed to, for example, and a boy, start going to the mikveh, and you're raising the mikveh issue with him now, you're, you're behind the eight, but you're lost. If your daughter's at the age where she has to begin to dress knees, they can cover her legs and her elbows and so on. And now you raise the issue, you've lost. If your child is at an age where he needs to go to shul and sit next to you and daven and not speak, or listen to Kriya Satoira, or go off to camp, go away to yeshiva, and you just wake up and say, okay, now from now on you gotta do this, we lost. Because now it's a fight. Now it's contentious, now the children says no. The conversation in this home always is that we're teaching our children things that they don't need to know yet. Obviously, you're not going to teach little kids adult things, but a year or two or three or four ahead of time, the child is going to hear again and again, when you're going to be big, you're going to go to school. When you're big, you're going to go to the mikveh. When you're big and you're able to be quiet, you'll come to shul, you sit next to Tati and you'll daven. When you'll be even bigger, you'll go to shul, you'll sit next to Tati, you'll listen to Kedisatera. When you'll be even bigger, you'll go away to yeshiva and you'll live in a dormitory and Tati and mommy will always be available for you to call, but you'll be learning big Tata with big Bachrim and the big Yeshiva, who knows where. And this is consistent with the tradition that Jews have had forever, where mothers would speak to their infants in cradles. And certainly when they were be cradling them in their arms and when they were playing with them sitting on the floor and they talked to them about Torah is the bestest Torah. When you're going to grow up, you're going to learn Torah and you're going to be a Talmud Chacham. They don't tell that to your adult child. They tell it to your child when he's so young, he doesn't even know what Torah means. And all values, 
that are important to us, just like it's important to us that they should clean up after themselves at the meal, or brush their teeth, or make their bed, and we indoctrinate them to it, and we tell it to them when they're very little, and they try to do it, and they don't do it well, and slowly they get good at it, we present to them every value, and every ritual, every minhag, and every mitzvah, and every attitude, both in what we want them to do, as well as what we want them not to do, before it's a realistic thing, and we we bring them into it slowly and if we try a new step and it becomes too difficult we can pull back and then wait a month or two or three and reinitiate it reinstitute it but the foundation is that our children are taught in our home before they need to know what they're going to need to do later on and this way it's seamless when it comes to the age of doing it they've been indoctrinated they've been taught and i just want to say in closing this segment that it's much easier to sit at your Shabbos table and make jokes or even sing songs and tell stories. It's much more difficult to use your opportunities with your family to, in a very casual, in a very natural, in a non-dictatorial uh, way, teach them what you expect of them. And it takes a cognizance, it takes a conscious awareness of a couple from the time they get married to figure out how to tactfully use their Shabbos meals and their long drives in the car to, to raise their agenda and let the children talk and respond and uh, introduce them to all the values that are important to us before those values are actionable and when the time comes to do them, the children are ready to do them. Mm -hmm.